Hey, and thanks for checking in on the latest on what's going on at Journey Church. Our prayer is that today's teaching will inspire you and ultimately draw you closer in your relationship with Jesus. So no matter what you're doing, relax and enjoy this next message. Would you please uh, join me in a warm round of applause for our guest speaker today, Rachel Girdler. Good morning. Said, my name is Rachel. Don't worry if you don't remember. I'm one of the youngest in the family, so I'll reply to hey you or any other name you call me. It's all right. Um, and I love that you said that because that's exactly what I want to talk about today is that this wasn't my plan. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> but aren't you glad that God's plan is always better than our own? <laughs> All right, so thank you first for letting me be here. When I decided to do this, I talked to Pastor Ryan, and he was like, we're on your board. You know, we're on your team. Come here. No questions asked, which is means the world to have people that are supporting me in this journey. I can't do it without you. Second, the thing he said, I am a social worker. I am not a preacher. <laughs> I love being a social worker. So if you all just bear with me today, I just kind of want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a tiny part of my journey that got me here today. Like I said, it's not my plan. <laughs> I even titled my message, it's not my life. <laughs> um, so yeah, I am headed to Ecuador in the jungle. I'm headed to the Marana Santiago province. It's a small town of Sakua. You can Google it. It'll give you a 500 square mile radius. So <laughs> it's not really much there. I'll be in the jungle working with 67 Shuar villages. And I'll be using my social work training specifically to be the Hope House counselor. It's a safe home for girls. They can come as young as eight and stay until they're 21 if they want to. And currently, more than 50 girls call it home. The Morana Santiago has an 85% sexual abuse rate by the time a girl is 14. And they currently hold the highest rate of mothers under the age of 12. I have babies having babies is where I'm going. So I'm joining Joel and Leah Marbit, who have been there their whole lives, basically, to join their team. They came to me about a year and a half ago and said, Rachel, we don't have anyone that's trained to address this. Would you be willing to think about it? I told God no. <laughs> I said, I feel like I'm living in your call. I like what I do. I have a good job. I just got settled in a new city. Why would I want to move to the jungle? But like I said, it's not my life. So I did, and as I started launching into this journey of Ecuador, God began to challenge me with the phrase intentional vulnerability. I despise the word vulnerability as a social worker because that means I'm open to being hurt from the people I love, from the people I work with, from my neighbors. It's not fun, um, but isn't it such a beautiful essence of who God is, <laughs> that he was authentic and vulnerable and came down to earth, and he loved us through it all, even when we hurt him. And so if I'm going on this journey, then I had to do it too. So I made a commitment to God when I decided to apply for this and head the direction that any church or person that I talked to about Ecuador would get my story. You would get who I am, why I'm doing this, and you would get all of me. You would get the broken part of me. You would get the happy parts of me. Most importantly, you'd get the redeemed and restored parts of me because this isn't my life. It's not about me. It's all for Jesus. So with that essence, we're just going to start and just tell you a part of my story. Um, so like I titled today's message, 
if I've learned anything, it's not my life. I'm really going to drill that in. Not my life because it's not yours either. Um, and I don't mean that in the way that I think we sometimes throw it around in church. We say it, it's not my life. Oh, well, God's going to take care of it. It's his life. But we don't like to live it. And that's hard. <laughs> that's hard to give up control. We like to be in control. Um, but if you would have asked me in high school or five years ago or two years ago if I ever thought I would be going into full-time ministry, I would have laughed at you. I love ministry. I grew up in a ministry home. It's great. But I was adamant that I was going to be a social worker and I was going to meet people in the midst of their need. And they were going to be people who may never step foot inside of a church. Because how many people do we forget to minister to because they aren't coming to our church? (laughs) And that's what I wanted to do. And that's what I have dedicated my whole life to. We have a mandate to do that. In Deuteronomy, all the way back in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 10, 18, and 19, he executes justice for the orphan, the widow. He shows love to the alien by giving food and clothing. And therefore, show your love to the alien as you were once aliens. Deuteronomy 15, 11, for the poor never cease to be in the land. Therefore, I command you, saying, you shall freely open your hand to your brother, give to the needy and the poor. I mean, go to the New Testament. Jesus tells the rich young ruler, you know, give up everything you have. Give up all of your wealth. Give it to the poor and come follow me. (laughs) That's really hard to do, but that's what he commanded. So I dedicated my whole life, all of my schooling, all of my training to doing just that. I wanted to do this, and I wanted to live out that mandate. But I never imagined, even though that list goes on and on, that that would mean moving to the jungle. It's not what I had in my plan. But God kind of wrecks that. I'll tell you right now, if you make it, it's probably not going to stay the same. And at the end of my sophomore year of college, I decided to take a summer internship with a group called Project Rescue, another great AG missions organization. They work with trafficked women. And I went for the summer, and I lived in a safe home with these women in Spain. And when I came home, people were excited. They wanted to hear about it. They wanted to hear stories. And I very quickly learned that the story I came home with was not the story people wanted to hear because I didn't have amazing miracles to tell them about. I didn't have huge crowds of people getting saved. (laughs) And so I learned to keep my answers very, very casual in how I responded. But that summer wrecked my life (laughs) in the best and the worst senses. It literally wrecked my life. And I came home, and in that intentional vulnerability I started with, I have to say that trip was hard, really hard. I came home from a period of the house was in transition. Things were kind of in chaos while I was there. Um, They had a very formal intake process, unlike a lot of groups. And in my second week there, there was this kind of emergency that happened. And all of a sudden, we had this lady show up at our house (laughs) that was going to be with us. And they had other things they needed to deal with. So for 10 and 12 hours a day for the next four weeks, I sat with this lady. I sat with her, and I learned her history. I learned her abuse. I learned about her two little boys that she had been forced to leave behind. I learned about the pain in her life. And all of a sudden, my life was just connected with this organization. I wasn't intersecting anymore, but I was there. I was in it. I was involved. And this lady became a huge part of my own story. 
and she became a part of me even after I left. So I said I came home. I was only there for four weeks. I wasn't trying to save this lady. <laughs> only God saves, right? I'm just there to, to be a vessel, even going to Ecuador. I'm just there to be a vessel. Only God saves. But I came home, and I didn't know what to do, like didn't know what to do and how to process what God was doing in my life. I especially didn't know how to process pain because I came home and I was so screwed up. <laughs> I came home and I knew what God did, but I also knew how broken the world was. I had to see it everywhere. And I think, especially in the church sometimes, we just like to close our eyes to that. We like the thought that other people are broken, but we don't want to see them in that brokenness. And I didn't have that luxury anymore. And just a few days later, I was only home about four days, I received a text message from one of the team members that said, hey, let you know, she's gone. Like, what do you mean she's gone? And they're like, we don't know where she's at. She got mad. She stormed out. We don't know where she is. It's been four years, and as far as I know, no one has heard from her since. We don't know where she is. And in that moment, I broke. I'm sitting alone on another continent knowing I can't do anything, and I'm weeping. I'm just weeping. And I started to think about it, and I began to think, well, if I did all of this stuff. You told me to do all these things. I went, and if that wasn't good enough, if what we shared wasn't good enough, then in my head that translated to maybe I'm not good enough. And that is not the message, but how many of us believe that? That when something doesn't work out, when our plan doesn't go how it's supposed to, then that means we did something wrong. We screwed it up. We're not good enough for God to use. And that's so not true. And I am thankful now that I had that experience because it led me into months and months and months of truly learning a new side of God that I think I forgot about somewhere along the way. So with that, we're going to read one of my favorite passages of scripture. It's in Psalms chapter 34. If you have your Bible, you can flip it open with me. If not, it's on the screen. And I, sitting there weeping, pulled out my Bible. It was the same one. I've had it since middle school. It's been taped together more times than I can count. But I pulled it out and I said, God, I'm just going to try and cling to this maybe. I'm going to pray through it. Isn't that what we're taught to do? And we're only going to read verses 4 to 18 today, but it says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fear. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces are never covered with shame. The poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all trouble. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good, and blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. For the lion may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me, and I will teach you to fear the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace. Pursue it. 
The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil and cut off from the memory of the earth. But the righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their trouble. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves all who are crushed in spirit. And I read that over and over and over again. More times than I can really count or tell you. And I wanted with everything in me for those last two verses that the Lord hears those who are crushed and is close to the brokenhearted. I wanted that to just carry me. That if I just pushed through it enough, then it would just be true all of a sudden. I consciously knew it was true, but I wanted to feel that it was true. So I did this. I just kept reading it almost every day. I kept going. I went back to school, and the pain was still there. (laughs) I kept waking up every day, and it was still painful. It still hurt. I still felt broken. So I got to school, and I did what I thought I should do. I scheduled every waking hour of my day with something on campus. I literally, I took 18 credits. I was volunteering in the community, and I sat on six campus committees. I wasn't sleeping if you had in time to do homework. But no matter how much I scheduled, no matter how much I tried to make a plan, I couldn't schedule out the brokenness. It was way too overwhelming. Yeah, I tried. It doesn't work. So if that's your plan, Again, it doesn't work. Only Jesus fixes it. (laughs) But rather than the brokenness fading as I tried to schedule all of it out, the brokenness began to take over. It took over my whole life. And in that moment in my living room, so altered my perception of the world and of myself that it was so hard to see the good anywhere anymore. I just saw it everywhere I looked, especially being a social worker. (laughs) If you make it to me, it's already bad. (laughs) That's just the reality of the world I live in. And so that was my whole worldview. That was everything I saw was just bad all the time, so broken. And again, I found myself crying out to God through those months. And over and over, I kept getting one question. Rachel, what are you willing to give up? Rachel, what are you willing to give up? And as any good Christian does, I took that to mean God saw something wrong in my life, and I needed to nitpick every part of my life to figure out what that piece of sin was that I needed to give up. And so I would cut out this and that, and I would try things, and again, the question just kept coming, Rachel, what are you willing to give up? And one night, I was actually driving, don't cry and drive, but I was doing, that's what I was doing, and I had tears streaming down my face, and in this little tiny whisper, I just said, God, everything. I don't have anything else to give you, so everything. And four years later, I am so thankful for that moment. I am so thankful that in my brokenness, that I want to stand up here and say, I am happy and whole and perfect and all of the things that we try to portray ourselves as, but I'm still broken. And I'm so thankful I can say that because that's the first thing you have to take away. It's definitely my first point. You have to accept the brokenness if you're going to get everything else. Not, for me, that meant accepting it in myself. That meant accepting that I was broken and I was flawed 
and I couldn't put it all back together. But if we don't accept that, then we can't accept the rest of the world either. And when you love people the way Jesus does, that means you get the broken. It means you get the sticky and the messy. You get all of the murky water and all of the gray areas that come with it. (laughs) But if I hadn't learned that, if I hadn't learned to accept that brokenness, I never would have realized that about Jesus either. In Psalms 34, the Lord is already close to the brokenhearted, right? We don't have to earn that closeness. The psalm says he's already there. (laughs) And the problem comes when we in our human nature try to pretend like that brokenness isn't there, (laughs) that we're these perfect Christians. And that's just really off-putting to everybody, to other Christians, especially to people outside the church. So when we accept the brokenness, then that's when the grace follows. That's when the peace follows. And there are days even now when I find myself sitting here and I wake up and I realize that it's hard to breathe that day because something is going on in the world or in a friend's life or in a client's life and it's just too much. And there are days when It's nighttime, and I'm trying to be quiet, and it's in the dark, and I just have tears streaming down my face because everything is just so broken. But in that peace over the past, or in that brokenness over the past four years, I have managed to find peace, right? Because the peace in the middle of that brokenness is only from God. And Paul writes to the church in Corinth about suffering and of comfort. And if there is any church in the whole Bible that Paul writes to that knows what it is to be broken and screwed up, it is Corinth. (laughs) They have a lot of issues. (laughs) But in the very first chapter of 2 Corinthians, verse 3 through 5, he says, Praise be to God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds in Christ. Man, isn't that wonderful? (laughs) Isn't that wonderful that we serve a God who is the healer and the restorer of all peace and comfort? That we are made holy and pure the moment we accept him, that we don't have to do anything for that. We just get it. He just gives it freely. And that astounds me sometimes. Like routinely I sit around and think about how astounded I am that God chose us, right? We are so broken, and yet he still gives that comfort and that peace freely in the brokenness. And no matter how broken I or you or any of our neighbors become, when we're restored by him, we are then overcome enough that we can give comfort to others as well. And that also amazes me. <laughs> Just, I am amazed even saying the words that that is a possibility in our lives. But I wish I could tell you that peace transcends all woes. I have a peace in my heart But in reality, how many of us still wake up even after we found the peace of Jesus and that pain is still present? 
that depression or anxiety you're dealing with still real. The hurt that you have in your family or someone you love has caused you, it still hurts. Whatever struggle your friends are going through, they're still going through it. You wake up in the same situation. And that is really hard to deal with because we want to think, I find Jesus, I get saved, I find peace, life is good. <laughs> that's the progression we want to follow. And sometimes that's not how it works. We serve a miraculous God who can do that, but it doesn't always happen that way. And, you know, what that verse in Corinthians tells me is that I might still feel pain. I will still feel pain. And I'm so thankful that God feels it with me. He's in it with me. He feels it with me. But I always come back to one line. It's one of my favorite worship songs that says, God, I am a broken and fragile me, but Lord, I'm where you want me to be. And that's all I've got. I've, I'm broken. I'm broken. You give peace, but I'm where you want me to be. That's all we can do with that peace is be in the foot and in the step of God and let him walk alongside of us in that pain. And that essence is, or that line is truly the essence of what I want to do in Ecuador. I want to use my very broken self and I want to go. I want to be with these girls who are getting so much love and attention from a team that are getting schooling, they're getting medical care, they're getting the love of Jesus but they also have these terrible pasts. And they wake up every day being told that Jesus loves them, but the pain they feel is still real. How do you form those connections with people when all you've ever known is hurt and pain and betrayal? But I get to do that with them. So then if I'm accepting the peace and I'm accepting the grace, then I only have one last point, and that's that we have to accept the call. Because grace is free, but there is a cost that comes with redemption, and that cost is a call. We don't have the choice to not obey the call, is what I've learned. And I don't know what that call is for you. Maybe that call isn't moving to the jungle like mine is. Maybe it is, though, if you're open to it. I'm not here to tell you. Let God tell you. Um... <laughs> But what I do know is even though I can't tell you what your call is, is that in my amazement of God, I still pray weekly that I never lose my amazement. Because the prophet Isaiah writes, do not fear for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name and you are mine. And I am so thankful that at 15 when I was broken and angry and I said, God, I'm done, I don't want any of this. He said, Rachel, no, you're not. And I am so thankful that four years ago, as I sat on my couch crying, and I said, God, I don't want any of this. I'm too broken. I don't know how to get through this. He said, I'm here. He said, I'm in this with you. He said, I am the giver of peace. And I am so thankful that I know that he is the God that said, go. And so, no, this isn't my life. Ecuador was not my plan. This isn't what I thought I was going to going to do. But I do know with everything in me that the real the moment I realized that I fix myself to God, I fix myself to that peace, then if he showed up in the jungle, then that's where I wanted to be. 
And that doesn't matter where it is in the world. If he's there, I want to be there too. Because that's where life is happening. That's where you get to love like Jesus does. And so I don't know if anything I've said in the past 20 minutes resonates with you. If you just want to know more about Ecuador, I have a booth in the back. Come talk to me. I'd love to tell you every little thing I know about these girls. We are so thankful that you were able to stop by and take a listen this week. We love the ability to build the kingdom of God in so many different ways. And if you would ever like to financially partner with us in making that happen, head on over to our website at www.journeychurchag.org and contribute in our giving tab. We hope that you have a blessed week, and we'll see you next week on The Journey Podcast.